Ethereum's next upgrade, Dencon, is a roll-up centric with EIP 4844 as the anchor EIP. If you want to learn about other spec changes, especially on the consensus layer, stay with us. Welcome to PPNEEP episode 111. Today, we will make an effort to keep up with the Denup spec changes with a very special guest. I'm your host, Pooja Ranjan from Ethereum Cat Herders, and I'm very excited to invite someone who is a client dev for Lodestar, Ethereum.js, and a core EIP editor to help us with the EIP process improvement. Welcome to our own Gajender Singh. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pooja, for inviting me. Gajinder Singh has been kind enough to have joined us on PPNEEP to talk about the Lodestar client, Ethereum.js client, and EIP implementation in earlier upgrades. And today it is about a Denub upgrade. I'm aware we have got a presentation to be shared, but before that, may I request to briefly introduce uh, yourself to our new users? Thank you, Pooja, for inviting me to talk about Denub. And hello, everyone. I'm Gajinder, and I work on Lodestar and Ethereum.js. Lodestar, as you would know, is a consensus client in TypeScript, and Ethereum.js is an execution client. It's an experimental client, but it's backbone of, of the JavaScript TypeScript Ethereum ecosystem. And today, we are talking about the next upcoming hard fork DNAP, which is primarily focused towards rollups. So it's increasingly clear that the road to Ethereum scalability is based on enabling rollups, which is sort of part of the surge roadmap. And 4844 blobs are stepping stone for that because the blobs that are being used in Denab, which is basically defined in EIP 4844, they are of the same format as what is planned in charting. So what this introduces, what this hard work really introduces is that a transient data without permanently blowing up the blockchain. So you have a blob which is made up of points and each point is basically a rollup data vector. So rollup can decide what that point is. It could be a transaction, of, it could be a rollup transaction, it could be rollup state changes or whatever rollup really wants. Ethereum is not really concerned about it. But what does Ethereum provides is that some data point, one can refer to that particular blob in smart contracts and see whether a point in that blob was included or not. So with a very succinct proof, one can figure out in the smart contract whether a particular thing was included in the blob. So for the CL, what it really means is that it's, there is now a block and then there are blob sidecars for every slot in DENAP. And a blob sidecar has blob data, it has commitment and proof. We'll come to what commitment is later. And now you have six blobs per block, which is max. So basically there is a target of three, but you have six and this target might be, target and limit might be revised later. But uh, what it really gives is basically a little less than one MB of data space per block. And for the sharing, the target is to go up to 16 MB per block. And the good thing is that all this data is never going to be permanent part of the blockchain, so it's transient. What it really means is that in basically around 18 days, which is 4096 epochs, this data will get cleared from the clients. So one has to take this into consideration that this is just a transient storage. And what Ethereum blockchain really makes sure is that the blob data was available for on this particular period. 
so that one is sure that whatever is included in finalized, that data was available. What it really means for execution layer is that, you know, so the question arises, how does the blob data enters the network? So then there is a blob transaction. So what our rollup would essentially do is it would create a blob transaction and basically pair it with blobs, commitments, and proof and send it to an execution layer, which would only include the basic transaction. It would not include blobs or commitments or proofs inside the execution payload. So the execution payload transaction, the serialized transaction in an execution payload would be a shorter version of the real blob transaction. But execution clients will provide blobs bundle to the beacon clients while they are requesting a proposal. So what the beacon clients would then do is that they would transmit the block, which has this execution payload with the shorter serialized block transaction data, along with blobs, which are basically independently transmitted. All this is based upon KZG cryptography. And what it really means is that blobs can be mapped to a low degree polynomial. So which basically simplifies proof verifications for 4844 data availability. And I mean, right now in 4844 in DANAB, these verifications are quite simple, but when we'll go to the sharding stage, there will be custody proofs and there will be sophisticated data availability checks because the validators will be divided into different shards and different shards will be responsible for making sure the availability of the data that is allocated to that particular shard. So what are sort of blob polynomial hashes? So each polynomial is sort of uniquely represented as a commitment and one can think that how we would hash the data, we are hashing the polynomial, but uh, indirectly we are also hashing the block. So each commitment is basically uniquely representing a particular block. What this enables is, the, is that one can in EVM, in smart contracts, can verify whether a particular point in the blob was was included in the blob or not without having the full blob, right? So execution there, so as you know that, as we have discussed, that blob data is not really part of the payload serialized transactions, but one can still verify using proofs and using this particular blob hash of code that whether and point evaluation pre-compiled, which has been added to EVM, that whether a particular point was in that particular blob. So you can use it to verify whether a particular data point was in the canonical chain so basically, needless to say, you know, we have come a long way for the development of these block features. And initially, Prism and Geth were championing this particular feature and around DevNet 4, other clients joined in. And there have been tons of iterations on this. And so some of them are like, you know, we started with blobs which were tightly coupled with the blocks. So we had a container in which both block and blobs would be there. We have now moved to the spec, which is more closer to sharding, in which basically blobs are totally decoupled from the blocks and they are independently trans transmitted on the network. Data availability checks were earlier part of state transition, and now they have moved to fork choice, which basically allows clients to sync the blocks without blobs, without making sure that there are all blobs, but somehow in a sophisticated manner, then they would have to make sure that the data for the block that they think that was available. So they will have to sort of collate it in their fork choice. But right now, how clients are doing it, it's in a simplified manner that they would not import a block without the blobs. Another change that we have seen as part of the iteration of this hard fork is that blobs were earlier SSD based, but there was a lot of discussion which went 
among the developers and it was decided that SSZ, there is no need to introduce SSZ as of now because there are parts that, that should be touched by bringing SSZ into Fold, which was not really happening. So it was like half-baked effort, which no one really wanted. So it was then again transitioned to RLP format. And we are again uh, seeing some churn on what is the max number of blobs per blob that should be allowed because it is a big thing. So a blob that you get from P2P is not really, you don't really transmit it. It's not singly transmitted. So as many peers as you have, you might be doing P2P gossips of the blob. So it has really big impact on the bandwidth and it might affect the decentralization because small stakers and home stakers might not have that level of infra support. And so there is some discussion going on. What is the max blobs that one might require for this particular hard fork? And obviously, when we'll go to sharing, we'll again have to revisit this problem again. And hopefully, there could be some sort of solutions which, like super block builders, which can help in all of these things. But that is something to be done and figured out in on the later stage. Another thing that we basically iterated on this particular hard fork was we changed KZG cryptography from little endian to big endian, which basically impacts how a smart contract would bundle the data for to the pre-compiled inputs, as well as how a blob and network transaction, network format transaction of this of the blobs is is uh, being packaged. There were some other nice things that happened, which was basically there was simplified computation format for access data gas and data fee, and then some of the other simplifications were added by introducing some validations that, okay, you know, a blob transaction will not be able to deploy a contract. So there has to be a destination address and then one can't do a blob transaction without actually having any blob. So as with every other hard fork, things change. And however, with blob, uh, you know, few things change in fundamental ways. So one of the basic thing is that, you know, right now, Everybody on the network already is using checkpoint sync to start their nodes or to you know bring their left behind nodes up to date to the network. But you can still theoretically start from Genesis and sync forward your beacon chain and basically taking into account long range attacks and all that, right? So that that is still possible. But with this particular hard fork, it won't be possible because because the blobs won't be available before this particular 18 to 19 days windows, window of blob availability. And so you one will be forced to use checkpoint sync because the nodes will be stalled if you start before this particular window. And then there is extra space requirement, which could be 60 to 100 GB or maybe a little bit more, depending upon what is the limit that we put on max blobs per block. And obviously they, there could be a very big concern and impact on network bandwidth that might be required for running a client, which is basically more serious concern that the community is debating about. And what other impact? So Web3 Signer API will need an extension. So all these third-party apps, they will need an update. And then one also will have to consider that there is increased traffic between validator and beacon for proposals because the blobs are also being passed around. And then one will also have to sort of account how they would set up their network to make sure that any latency doesn't show up while the proposals are happening. And obviously now you can't really import a block 
uh, without basically you know making data availability checks on the blobs so it basically there is potential for increased latency that would imply tighter schedules for proposals and attestations and obviously the builder and mev proposal flows will also be impacted and they will also have to provide the blinded versions of blob sidecars and uh, the validators will have to sign blob sidecars and then the blinded versions will be published to the builders and relays and the rest of the things will come together so the progress so far is that we have, so there is an ongoing DevNet 6 and which is basically all 4844 focus. And we might have another DevNet, which could be 4844 focus because some of the clients are just catching up with all the spec changes that have happened. And then there is an ongoing testing for what is the max blobs that can be supported without really hurting decentralization. And post once the 4844 spec is sort of stabilized, once the clients get stabilized and we have stable DevNet, we will move to include extended DNF features. And coming to those features, so some of the features that uh, our candidates are EIP 4788, which is basically including a beacon block route in EVM. So one would be able to now do proofs for the beacon state in EVM. So for example, if someone wants to trigger withdrawals or someone wants to trigger exit, they, they would be able to do it. So basically this is this will enable a host of applications and host of activity on beacon beacon activity that is primarily happening right now on beacon chain. You know, the trigger would move to execution layer where how one would just normally interact with a contract and it would trigger things on the beacon layer. Another EIP that is being considered is basically having perpetually signed voluntary exits. Right now, what really happens is that if you sign a voluntary exit and, and for some reason you retained it, you didn't transmit on network, basically it would get invalidated if there is a new fork. And since there is no real need to invalidate it, it is being simplified that post dinner, whatever you will sign, it will be perpetually valid. And it will enable applications where people would want to not transmit it right now, but to have these re-sign and just retain it and maybe transmit at a later stage. And on Engine API, some simplifications are being made where exchange transition configuration endpoint is being deprecated because an Engine API methods will be one-to-one -one mapping with the hard forks, which will basically simplify some of the validations that happen on the execution clients when the requests from beacon clients come through Engine API. And then there is another EIP 7045, which proposes to increase max attestation inclusion slot right now. So attestation can be included up to 32 slots post a block. And what it really proposes is that attestation for a particular block be allowed to be included or to be allowed to be included till the boundary of the next epoch. So this will sort of give some extra goodies, like, you know, it will improve security proofs as well as it will allow confirmations in approximately three to four slots in normal mainnet conditions. And then there is another very interesting topic that is being discussed and might not, or may, maybe the part of Deneb might, might or might not turn out to be part of Deneb is to sort of increase max effective balance. So max effective balance is the balance on which one earns the rewards and whatever is 
above the max effective balance is, you know, if you have enabled withdrawals, it will be withdrawn out to your execution address. So what really happens is that right now, most stakers are on a disadvantage that, you know, they are whales who can basically pool their rewards together much faster and then, you know, start another validator. But for example, someone running with a single uh, validator, they won't be, for example, for five to 10 years, they might not be able to start another validator with the rewards for that. So they might not earn any rewards on whatever each they have accumulated as, as a result of staking. So it might balance the scales between a small staker and a big whale. So that is something I think is interesting and very useful for small validators. Uh, yep. So that basically covers what all things are right now happening in Deneb. And but this is not an exhaustive list. Most things could come in and things could change. So, but we are moving towards a point where where the spec is more and more stable. Sweet. Thank you. As many of us know that uh, the main goal of this series is about creating awareness about anticipated protocol changes. So it was really nice to follow some of the less popular, but I guess high value changes, which is expected uh, with the DANAP upgrade. So thank you so much, uh, Gajinder Singh. You have brilliantly explained changes with the help of this presentation. And I hope the information shared today on uh, SPAC and EIPs will be helpful to many others like me. And I will also try to get uh, respective EIP authors on the show to have a deep dive into uh, proposals, the CFI proposals. Overall, it was a great summary. <laughs> the next section is about uh, question and answer. And my first question is with respect to the proposals that you have just shared. So I wonder, like some of the proposal is not even in the merged as a draft status, like 4788 is already on the CFI list for CanCode, but EIP 7044 and uh, 7045 are not. I'll be willing to pick your brain on how you see the EIP process evolving for consensus layer. And is the process a bit different than EL clients? Like I imagine the spec change with respect to proposal is already merged in the consensus in the specs. However, we are still in the process of documentation. So yeah, if you can maybe explain how does this work? I think primarily it should not be really different, but what is really different between execution layer clients, developers and consensus clients developer is basically, you know, the discipline with regard to the EIP process. Execution client developers are more familiar with EIP process. And of course, there are some hurdles like, you know, we have issue with what links to allow and all that. So there are some bureaucracy around that, but hopefully we are trying to resolve it so that people, the developers can, you know, feel quite easy to write an EIP because they are already doing all the hard work by writing the consensus specs. So writing an EIP out of it is not really difficult, but yes, I mean, it takes a bit of familiarity with the EIP process because as as being being as part of EIP editors, I have come to appreciate that this is something that the entire world is looking at. And so the quality of the EIPs, or even if they are draft, they have to have some standards. And even though we'll try to make sure that, you know, we can basically address some of the issues that the developers are pointing out, but all those issues will only come forward when consensus uh, client developers will use it and bring to our notice whatever difficulties they are facing. 
So in that, I would like to only mention that, you know, we are happy to resolve whatever issues they are facing and so that the process becomes smoother and smoother. That is true. I mean, like, uh, I, I agree that the EIP process is relatively new for consensus client. I suppose in due course of time, they would get uh, more familiarized and be able to follow the process as it is for EL clients. One another question about this EIPs. I see there is this proposal which does not seem to be a part of EIP that is with respect to engine API. Should we expect a proposal for that as well? Or do you think that it can go as just a spec change and no EIP would be needed for it? I mean, it's part of the engine API repository and it's not really basically a change in terms of design or in terms of a new idea that is being proposed or modified right it's just an implementation detail but i'm i i'm not sure whether it should come even in the eip or not because eip is where you know we have we have this repository of the ideas that are going into implementation and then there are some nitty-gritties and details implementation details which are not really concern of eip process in my opinion yeah yeah, it makes sense here. So I understand that this could be a consideration at the time of testing, probably not being a part of EIP because EIP is anyway a standard that is uh, made available for client teams to follow and implement in their respective client. Yeah. My next question is uh, with respect to engineering challenges after the uh, Capella upgrade. So after Chapella, Shanghai and Capella, this is the first network upgrade where we are making changes with respect to withdrawal process or when we have fully enabled the withdrawal process, what were the engineering challenges that could not be addressed with Capella or could have occurred after that we are trying to address here uh, with Dana? I think uh, with Capella, more or less, you know, things are running quite smoothly and uh, things are going fine. I, I, I don't really see uh, that, you know, we are trying to address anything that was missed in Capella. We are, so this hard fork really in a big way focuses on totally new features. And in my opinion, we did a good job with Chapella. That's always wonderful to know that uh, we are not trying to fix anything that broke in the past with the past upgrade, but we are just trying to improve it. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on to the DevNet, um, uh, we get to learn about the DevNet, uh, DevNet uh, 6, which is there for EIP 4844. And as you mentioned, like when DevNet 4 was uh, there, then most of the clients joined the development work. I've seen you engaged with TestNet earlier as well, like uh, when Shanghai was there, we were in, involved with Shandong TestNet. So I'll be curious to hear from you. What do you think about Denub or Dencon testnets? If you're allowed to maybe alpha leak, when can we expect a DevNet for Denub or Dencon? I mean, the DevNets are already running, but if you mean a public testnet, then uh, I think we are like maybe a month away from it. Yeah, I was just curious to understand the present DevNet, DevNet 6 that we are talking about. Does it include any other proposal or just the 4844? And if it is just the 4844, do we expect a DevNet with all the proposals in? Yeah, yeah. so DevNet 6 is basically 4844 focused only. But right now, not all clients are stable in terms of, you know, making proposals in terms of uh, downloading the chain or serving the chain. So we are seeing issues in which uh, one client 
also uh, included a transaction in the network format basically with the blobs which is not how it's supposed to be in the execution payload itself right so we are seeing these kind of issues and uh, but these are getting resolved and all the client developers are working on it but i think there will be another iteration of 4844 focus devnet and maybe two weeks after it we can see dev next devnet with the extended dnf features that i have mentioned on the list that's interesting my next question is with respect to the blob and the blocks so i remember having a conversation with the Terence, uh, the other day uh, when we were talking about EAP 4844 in PEEP and EAP, and I think at the time it was two blobs per block. Now it is six blob per block. And uh, I suppose it is mentioned that it is WIP. So does that mean that before then we can see a change on it? And if so, what is the factor that is deciding this? How many, what should be the maximum blobs per block? Right. So the two blobs per block would be the target. So there is a max and then there is a target, right? So max, for example, earlier was four and the target was two. Now the max is six and the target is three. What it really means is that if you increase, if you go beyond, if a particular block goes beyond a target of, for example, three right now, then the gas, the data gas for the next block will be pushed high. So that basically less and less, so that you know it is it will de incentivize for someone to include blobs for the next block. So what it really does is that it tracks what is the excess data gas that has been trickling down from the previous chain from the parent chain, and then it prices how much basically fee one would pay to include the blobs. So economically it's trying to make sure that no more than three blobs per block would be included to the second part to your question so so the concern or you know the parameter that will really decide how many max or what is the target limit for blobs per block is latency as well as the bandwidth because it's not really computation heavy computation for making sure that the blobs are correct and everything is in line is quite cheap but what will really affect and you know the disk requirement is not really that high it's about for example 100 gb as of now so if if you keep packing with the max blobs per block for about 19 days so and that is again a transient so it's not really that you know it will so it's it's the one-time allocation that the clients will do on the disk space right so it's not that is also not really a big uh, decision factor the big decision factor is the bandwidth that will be required because if you are doing p2p gossip communication between the clients so you are not transmitting blob one time maybe you are transmitting it 50 times or 100 times in a particular slot depending upon what is the number of ps that you have and what is the request response request request response traffic that your client is experiencing so that will basically that is a determining factor as well as you know what is the what is the delay in which you have block and blobs so what is this latency from the start of the slot in which you have all the block and blobs which again sort of depends upon what is the bandwidth that is available to the clients and then 
how does the proposal and attestation schedule follow? So there are two things. One is block proposal and attestation schedule. And then the second thing is the decentralization in terms, in, in terms of you know, what would happen to uh, small stakers who might not have the resources that are needed to basically support the bandwidth. So I think some testing is going on over this to sort of simulate this particular situation, but whatever the testing teams do it, it's not really, it's not really perfect to what one might experience on mainnet. So hopefully when, you know, it will be tested on bigger test nets like GoEarly or Holsky, which is the new new, which is the new test net to be launched with twice the number of validators on mainnet. So hopefully with these big bigger test nets, we'll be able to come to a point, you know, where we can say that, okay, this is what we are experiencing and maybe we can lower or up this particular limit. But from my feeling in the community, you know, people will try to push the limit down back to four per block. Right. Uh, but I'm just curious, like uh, as a client, uh, how comfortable you are it uh, with uh, the limit getting changed at the time of public testnet? Would it make any effect on uh, the spec of a client, like heavily uh, affecting them? So right now, I mean, this change from four to six has sort of, you know, made all client team aware that, you know, this is something that can change. And everyone has, basically, everyone must have configured their code in a particular manner that it should not be a big deal to change this particular number. And again, on the DevNet 6, we are seeing things getting broken when this change has come in. So most likely clients would be able to handle this particular change in the bills that you just update a particular constant and it gets reflected everywhere. What will really be interesting is the real network mainnet situations in which, you know, how much the small stakers will be able to afford. What is that limit that small stakers will be able to afford? But with respect to development, it should be easy after DevNet 6. Interesting. Yeah, I have seen like proposal getting out of the grid a few days before the upgrade. So kudos to client development team that they are taking care of every possible incidents to come up and make the changes as needed. My next question is with respect to the extra validation address for blobs. Can you maybe explain that a little bit more? And why do we need that? And how is that going to be very helpful to uh, users or maybe new validator? Uh, so these validations are, I mean, just to make sure that the testing surface is low. I mean, because this as of now is big change in itself, right? So there are many things that have fundamentally changed. No one really wants to increase the testing surface. So as such, it should not really impact any of the stickers, but it's more like, you know, we are trying to reduce the testing surface for ourselves making sure everything is nice and packaged and so that all the client teams, so there is less possibility of consensus breaking between client teams. But as of now, I, I don't think, you know, the stakers would be affected in any way. Okay, that is good, good to know. 
one other question I have is with respect to the improvement, I understand there would be a trade-off of all these changes coming in. Is there any feature that you would like to highlight which has been introduced to maybe make a user's experience even better? Or will there be a feature which is going to be affected that it was there earlier, but because we are proposing these changes, it's going to be not available anymore? Yeah, so one thing that is there is that you can't forward think before if you start before this global availability window. So that is something that really needs to sink into the community that, for example, if you shut your node down for 90 days, you will need checkpoint sync to sync forward. And then you will also need to allocate some of that space for the transient blob storage. And then there is concern for the bandwidth. But apart from that, I think uh, we should be good. Right. This checkpoint sync will be important for new and existing validators, right? Very well. We are coming towards the end of the conversation. Do you have any message for the validators community? The message for the validator community would be that, you know, we need to sort of come to a point where we can do PBS because that would sort of enable us, enable the clients, enable the stakers to, to basically keep this bandwidth requirement in check and basically not really have to propose or build the blocks themselves and to basically get involved in this blob P2P communication. So if it can be minimized, I think it will be very important for the small stakers and home stakers and for the decentralization. So that is a point I think is quite important and should be solved or addressed coming going forward. Yes, um, well said here. Just for people who are listening to this conversation, we do have an episode on PBS recorded earlier. So please check out the link in description if you want to learn more about this concept and what changes it may bring for future of Ethereum blockchain. Gajender Singh, on behalf of the Ethereum community, I appreciate you taking out time to provide an overview of Dunup spec changes. We look forward to seeing proposals moving along the IP process and being deployed on the mainnet with the Dunpun upgrade. On this note, thanks to all our YouTube viewers and ECH podcast listeners for following this episode on Dunpun. Check out the links in the description to learn more about this upgrade. Should you have any question on this or any other topic, let us know at eCatherine's Discord. Next week, we'll be back with another interesting talk. Till then, keep sharing your love with Ethereum cat herders. Thank you.